Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. All right, my friends, you have tuned in to America's Home for Conservative, Not Bitter Talk. Contents may, in fact, cause you to lean to the right. This has been documented by 98% of scientists. 98% of scientists agree that listening to this program may, in fact, cause you to lean to the right. That includes, again... You're operating heavy machinery, you're driving your vehicle to or from work, whatever you're doing. If you're jogging, if you're jogging down the jogging trail at some park, you may find yourself veering to the right. It is remarkably powerful, and I am here to tell you I have to give you that warning. I don't do it nearly enough, but welcome to the program. Email Todd at ToddFShow.com. Thoughts, questions, Feedback, adoration, and praise. We took a little bit of a detour from the news of the day yesterday. Maybe in some ways, not exactly, but in my mind, we kind of, we kind of did that. Um, and there's several reasons why I want to to do that. But one of the reasons is that, you know, for me, and I think more importantly for the people who who are getting into politics for the first time, for people who have been sold, people who have bought metaphorically a bill of goods, a bunch of ideas, really a bunch of feelings, that have been peddled upon them by some leftist professor, some leftist teacher, some leftist family member, some leftist, well, there's not many, I was going to say television show host, or they can't do radio. There is no comparable liberal not bitter. It, that is just, it doesn't exist. Definitely not leftist not bitter. That is, you talk about opposite ends of a personality spectrum. Radical leftism and not being bitter, polar opposites of one another. But they don't, there are people that still have influence over folks. And of course, the media and, and entertainment education in general doesn't mean that obviously every educator I don't mean it like that we have teachers that listen to this program we have administrators that listen to this program I don't look I don't care what you do I I people whatever you do if you if you love it are good at it are gifted in it and you're providing something of value I I just love that I don't care what it is I don't care what it is it's great that we can have that here in America, but you know, one profession over another doesn't mean that you are by definition that someone is by definition a leftist or a conservative. Now they have done studies to show that there are certain fields that attract different uh, personality types and different folks with different with certain political affiliations and worldviews and so forth. But so I don't mean this as a blanket statement. But a lot of folks have been have just kind of I guess I guess the best way of saying this is that the default position is is liberalism maybe not radical leftist ideology ultra woke 
nonsense and malarkey. But the starting point, the default point, the point that you are kind of automatically is is kind of a bleeding heart liberal. I mean, until you think issues through, until you become critical, until you understand the ideas and foundations of this great nation, which we went through a laundry list of those yesterday because I was responding to some leftist or a liberal. I'm not really sure. I just saw one of his TikTok videos, and we talked about that. I played his TikTok video. I edited out the little four-letter expletive he dropped in there, but we talked about we talked about that, and we talked about the response or the retort to the things he was saying, which was crazy to me, but basically saying, what do conservatives love about America? And I think it's everything. For me, it is. I love, in fact, I hear from liberals, well, I've gotten reviews. Let me say this way. There's reviews out there that I've seen of the podcast. One of them in particular said something about, you know, um, this guy maybe loves America too much. You might want to roll your eyes. I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of the, the essence of it, right? And so I I actually think that many conservatives, myself included, were, were, were much more open to criticism, I would think, of being too much in love with America than we would be, um, you know, as someone that would potentially not love anything about America. But anyway, that's what we talked about yesterday. And so this, this permeates though, the default is liberalism because let's face it, whether we like to admit it or not, it is the in vogue thing to, to be. I mean, it's embraced by professional athletes, professional sports, the NBA, the NFL, right? I mean, these are these have become woke leagues and woke organizations. Maybe not so much baseball. I don't know. I don't follow baseball a whole lot. In fact, I told my wife I might. I might become a baseball fan. I'm not sure. I got to find a I got to find a team. <laughs> I have one in mind. I don't want to say it because boy, you don't want to lose listeners over something like that. But anyway, so Major League Baseball, not as I don't think as much. And then, of course, the NHL, probably not at all. Of course, UFC, I mean, there's an organization that's about as anti-liberal as you can, as you can get as it, as it pertains to the world today. But you look at all the media sources, you look at entertainment, you look at the movies and the music, a lot of that stuff comes from, from leftists. A lot of that stuff is just purely emotional-based. There is no... There is no thinking behind it. And and many times there is, you know, you couple all that stuff, these these pressures, societal pressures, young people want to be cool and hip, or whatever the words are today. And so there's a an inclination to accept those things. And of course, it's based on feelings and and not so much thought and ideas and an actual, it is built upon a worldview, but it's a worldview that's hidden behind emotion versus one that's built upon logic and reason and sense and so forth. So you've got all these things working against you, and then working against conservative, constitutional conservative principles, values. Then you go to school, and they run into woke professors, maybe woke teachers and so forth, who are telling them things that simply either are not true about this great nation or they're trying to undermine the family. Again, this is not a blanket assault against teachers. There's many of you out there that are as appalled by these things as I am, but this does exist. I've seen the the videos. I've seen 
What is the one? Liberals of TikTok? Is that the one? Liberals of... Libs of TikTok. That individual who I believe is a, uh, a young lady, she was um, doxxed, as they say. She Her identity was, I think, revealed online because, of course, the unspoken implication is that they want people to go and basically shake her down so that she stops posting these things. But she's got all sorts of videos of... Not just not just liberal, not just teachers who have a liberal slant. I'm talking about woke, ultra woke teachers who think it's cool not just for third graders and kindergartners to talk about gender identity, but for like two and three year old kids. They're out there, folks. They're in our education system, and it's it's a mess. And all these things added up. All these things added up means that the default position is for many folks. Liberalism, but conservatism requires a story to be told. Conservatism requires ideas to be expressed. Conservatism, many times, many times is uh, maybe challenging. It's challenging to break something down into a soundbite to compete with the the left. For example, Ron DeSantis signs the legislation in Florida that the left inappropriately refers to as the don't say gay bill. Of course, you can you can say gay. That's not anything remotely close to the truth, but it, it sticks. It sticks in pop culture. It sticks in the media because it's said so much. It's easy to remember, and it's got kind of a, I mean, a marketing flair to it, right? It's, it's just memorable, and it's emo- there's emotions tied to that. So that's what sticks. And conservatives, I think there's you know, there's some things that sometimes I hesitate before I say on here because if you break something, what's the old the old adage? I think maybe Einstein Einstein may have said this. Make make it as simple as possible, but not simpler. Something very similar to that. So if you break it down to where it's too simple, you lose the essence. It's not quite accurate, and sticklers for truth care about that. And as a conservative, I care about that stuff. And so the left doesn't. They say, don't say gay bill. It's catchy. It's easy to remember. It stirs the emotions. It's got short words in it. Don't say gay. Heck, the last two words even rhyme. So it's easy to remember. And these things all add up to a... A movement or a, I guess, a, just just an opposition that we're up against. Now, if there's ever, if there's ever any substantive discussions on the issue, conservatism wins by a mile because it's truth versus complete nonsense. I mean, at some point, at some level. The worldviews are not comparable. It's not like choosing whether or not you prefer chocolate or vanilla ice cream where there's no moral, morally superior option. There's one ideology that's built upon truth, and there's another that's built upon slogans and taglines. And posi- Not that those things are bad, but it's all fluff, and it's no substance. It's no substance. And ironically, the left will tell us when they lose a political argument, which I... Ironically, there's an article in the stack of stuff where the CDC, Center for Disease Control, the um, what the the CDC director or whatever the terminal the, the title actually is, uh, Rochelle Walensky, 
she's actually listed some things. She basically came out and said, you know, we didn't, there's some things we didn't do right in the COVID situation, to which I say, exactly, a lot of stuff. Um, but the stuff that they list is not, it is not anything rooted in the real problem. The real problem was that they became, I mean, they went hardcore totalitarian on the American people. They went hardcore anti-science on the American people. I they they went Dr. Fauci where they're talking about, you know, different I mean look at Dr. Burks out there saying the things she's been she's been saying lately. But they the messaging never made any sense. It was never consistent. Fauci was mocking masks and now he's living and dying by masks. I mean it's just it's silliness. By the way, do you see Biden when he signed this stupid uh, what is it, the Inflation Reduction Act, which there's another misnomer. Inflation Reduction Act, he's signing it, walks out on stage to sign the legislation, he's got his mask on, takes his mask off, coughs into his hand, shakes hand with every Democrat, senator, representative up on that stage, hands the pen to Joe Manchin, Slapping people on the back, shaking their hands, they're celebrating, puts the mask back on, whatever. I just, none of that stuff, none of that stupidity is what the CDC has a problem with. What they think their problem is, is that they need to redesign their website. That's literally, I'm not even kidding you. It's in our stack of stuff if you want to read it. And they need to clean up their communication plan. They just didn't quite communicate clearly enough to the American people. The real problem is they were sending conflicting messages they decided to politicize a virus and they were being deceptive if something think about i mean this whole did you see the the the, some of this development regarding hydroxychloroquine i see that there's some um some legal battle over over this but these these drugs that showed promise um that they basically prevented people from trying to get was the ivermectin? There's another one. They said ivermectin is horse medicine, which of course was not. Of course, there is a version of ivermectin that's horse medicine, but there's a version that's human medicine. And they, but they again, they stick with the sound bites. There's no substance behind what they're actually saying. Context is king. Truth matters. It always comes down though when when it's when the left is analyzing why something didn't work, it was always their communication plan or they didn't have enough money or some conservative stood in the way of their plans becoming utopia on planet Earth. When the truth is they don't know how to lead, they don't know how to deliver on these utopian promises because it's impossible for our federal government to do these things. It's not the role of government. I'm not, again, I'm not saying that the CDC shouldn't have had a role in COVID. I'm not, talking about it on that level, but it was way out of whack as to what as to what it should have been from two weeks to stop the spread or whatever it was, 10 days, 15 days, to now we're, I was just asked yesterday, in fact. I was out yesterday and someone, we're talking about what I did and I told them about this program and she said, are we going back to masks? And that's, again, I mean, these are, people see this coming again. And of course, in some places, they're, embracing masks as as the solution yet again in spite of all the scientific evidence inside of all of common sense they just they don't care it's not about communication it's about truth 
It's not about redesigning the website, getting more money from the taxpayer. It's about staying in the lane that was created by the founders for the federal government, doing what you're supposed to do, and then not trying to do all these other things that are truly impossible, which exist only only to empower and enrich and grow the, the individual and to, well, the individual and the government and to, to grow the overall size of, of government and to take away our liberties. And so that is, those are the conflicting worldviews, Democrat versus Republican today. Now that's overly simplistic because you've got different types of Republicans and different types of, of Democrats. You've got the woke radical left, you've got the liberal, you've got the union Democrat, and then you've got conservative Republicans and you've got more of the country club types, uh, the moderate Republicans and so forth. But that's the battle that we're facing as we're heading into the midterms, this battle over ideology, over worldview. But over the rest of the, the course of the rest of this program today, I want to talk within the Republican Party. I want to talk about Liz Cheney. I want to talk about Mike Pence. I want to talk about Trump, maybe a little bit about DeSantis. And I want to paint, there's, there's three general camps that are, within the Republican Party, the Trump side. Pence is starting to become more and more active, looking like he's positioning himself to potentially run. And then, of course, Liz Cheney hinted at running, which seems crazy, absolutely ludicrous to me. But I want to talk about these respective parties. I want to talk about the battles that we have to face and what I think is the best way to address these. So all that said, timeout is in order. A little bit long this segment. Next segment, I'm going to have to ask Oz to hit me in the head if I get long. So anyway, quick time out, my friends. Back in just a minute. Welcome back, my friends. been talking about the, I guess, the ideological divide between the Republican Party and the Democrats in general, the large, the large differences in worldview. And maybe from my perspective, I mean specifically conservatism, the conservative wing of the Republican Party, and probably a large extent of others in the Republican Party too, versus versus the radical left wing who's running today's Democrat Party. So that's that's an important distinction to make. That's important for us to understand and have a handle on. But there's also a battle, as there is, again, for control of the Democrat Party, there's that battle that's happening there that I don't I don't want to I'm putting that aside. But I want to talk specifically specifically about the uh, folks in well there, there's three names that have kind of well four because Liz Cheney's hinting. Liz Cheney, of course, Congresswoman from Wyoming, she has become a never trumper. Um, she is, I mean, all in on that. She's on the January 6th commission. She's acting, acting just like the Democrats, her and, um, Kinzinger, Adam Kinzinger. So they are, she's, she's lost her primary. In fact, she got annihilated in her primary. I guess it would have been Tuesday, Tuesday night. In fact, I, what was the final percentages? I think it was 66 to 29, some something like that. 66% to 29%. Now, her opponent, who now won the Republican nomination, she was 
um, endorsed by Trump. Liz Cheney, of course, became the, well, she's positioned herself as the enemy of Trump. In fact, she's out there saying, in fact, I heard from one of our listeners who wrote me about this, um, who wrote me and said, have you seen the ad? I have not. I still haven't seen the ad. I need to Google that. But Liz Cheney, who is the daughter of Dick Cheney, who was vice president with George W. Bush um, most recently. And so, but they're both apparently, Liz Cheney here says that, you know, her main objective is to keep, make sure, what she say? I'll do whatever it takes to keep Donald Trump out of the Oval Office is what she said, which fine. I mean, from a political perspective, that's that's her prerogative. But from... Uh, when you factor that into what she's doing on the January 6th commission, is that really the point of that commission? Now, I would say, obviously, that's absolutely what that committee's position is, and I would maintain that it's the underlying driving factor as to why the FBI was had raided Mar-a-Lago as well. And nobody wants. on Those who are against Trump, none of them want him, not even in the Oval Office. They don't want this guy on the ballot. So we've got the Liz Cheney faction of the Republican Party, which I contend is very tiny. Very, very, very tiny. She's represents the never-Trump wing of the Republican Party. And I, I don't like to say this. I, I, I really don't. In fact, I remember when she ran for office. When she first ran for office, she was in Rush interviewed her. And Rush rare rarely interviewed people. I mean rarely. And she, he put her on. And of course, I know that there's relationship there with the family and, and they were always good to, to rush and so forth. And there was a respect, but I have to believe that. I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be happy with what he's seeing um, from Liz Cheney as it pertains to the January 6th commission and this nonsense we've been subjected to at the cost of well, lots of money to the, to the American taxpayer. It's just, again, the extension of another impeachment trial, however you want to look at it. It's, it's, it's political tactics that are designed to, well, I wouldn't even say it's political tactics within our government. The government is, is endorsing and paying for this stuff that's ultimately designed, at least in part, I would say, I would say the main motivation is to keep Trump from running, or if he does run, to try to just make it as impossible for him to win as possible. That's what these, that's what these things are. That's what Liz Cheney, I think, to the voters in Wyoming, had come to rec- uh, represent. And so you've got that small, tiny faction around Liz Cheney. You've got the Trump supporters, which I would, I would classify as many would be Trump slash DeSantis because those two kind of fall into the same category in my mind. These are the ones who, in my mind, recognize that there is a massive fight that has to be won. And that fight that has to be won is about the size and scope of government, the bureaucratic state, um, the well, if you dare say the deep state or whatever, however you want to define or classify these these things specifically but bureaucratic state deep state um big government what have you but these these groups that have 
run political interference candidly, inappropriately run political interference through the the official activities of government. I, this is why people like myself, like many of you, are concerned to see all these IRS agents being hired. This is why people like you and me, many of you, have a... We certainly understand the role and the, you know, the, the stated purpose and intent of the FBI um, without, again, without granting super police powers or some such thing. But, you know, there, there's certainly things the FBI has done that's, that's been very, very good. But you look at how it's been abused or how the IRS has been abused by Lois Lerner. And, and we're just scratching the surface. And so these fighters like Trump, like DeSantis, they understand that. And they are tenacious, and they are aggressive, and they play offense. And that rubs some people, some people wrong. <clears throat> the world, the world of that existed politically, <clears throat> excuse me, in the heyday of, of say Dick Cheney, which again, he was vice president with Bush, so he saw he saw this stuff. So it wasn't. It wasn't all, you know, roses in 2000 either, but it's gotten much, much worse. But that era is gone. But we have, we have a group of people now in this country who are radical leftists, who are at the highest positions in the Democrat Party, who have lots of power and influence that are supported by lots of money, even though they talk about how much they hate millionaires and billionaires, they have access to a lot. Many of them are millionaires themselves, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. I guess it matters how you make your money. If you make your money off of quote-unquote being a public servant, I, I question whether that's really what you are. But anyway, the point is these folks, they hate America. And so I don't want to get into whether I think Liz Cheney's just got a genuine disagreement or any of that. I'm just saying that her approach – I think is incredibly naive. I think she has either let her personal desires to not have Trump's tweets in the White House or whatever, his his behavior. Maybe, maybe there's that, I don't know, that feeling of nostalgia of the good old days and how her, her dad viewed Washington, D.C. These are folks that have been in D.C. for a long time. That is not the world that we live in today. This Constitution is under assault. This government is under assault. Our liberties are under assault by the political opposition, at least those who are in positions of power. Calling the shots, I know Oz. She's going to have to hit me with something here. I told her to. But this, her approach is incredibly naive. She wants to, maybe she says she's considering running for president. It's preposterous to me. At best, at best, a candidate like Liz Cheney is going to slow the movement towards anti-American fervor a little bit, and then when a Democrat wins, it's going to be full throttle right back towards it. We need someone who's going to actually move us back towards constitutional conservatism, and that requires shrinking the government, and that requires getting in control over the bureaucratic state, which means eliminating positions, maybe even eliminating entire departments altogether, at least cutting them. Anyway, timeouts in order. Really along this segment, too. I guess you have to blame Oz for that. No, I'm the one to blame. As usual, quick time out, though, my friends. Sit tight. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. <laughs> 
friends. I was going to play the soundbite of Liz Cheney. I don't know. I just feel like this is more interesting to me at the moment. I don't want to talk about her concession speech. And there's people that say that she's comparing herself to Abraham Lincoln. She does reference uh, the Gettysburg Address. And, of course, a lot of people said, I've read this in multiple places anyway, that she's apparently starting an organization. I don't even know what it was. And I'm sure if I have what it's called here, what she's going to call it. But anyway, the point is, it looks like a rebranding of the Lincoln Project, which is, again, is the never-Trumper division of the Republican Party, for whatever reason. I've never understood this. I guess I I can understand why someone doesn't like Trump. Um, just for personal, I guess, personal reasons, personality. It's his... Uh, it's not what we were necessarily told as statesmanlike. I understand all that. I do. And I, I respect that. But to be never Trump, because the alternative, for a Republican to be never Trump, the alternative becomes Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden. And look at what we've experienced. It is a massive dumpster fire because of that. Anyway, so that's what the Liz Cheney wing, and it's, it's tiny. It's, it's a fringe group of people who are supporting Liz Cheney. Remember, she won massively in the past her seat in Congress in Wyoming, and she only got 29%, 29% of the vote uh, Tuesday night in the primary. So she got shellacked. So there's, there's that aspect. There's also the Pence aspect. And I know, look, I am a Hoosier. This is, this is Pence, Pence country. Um, I have I have respect for Pence. I've I've shared. I know some people who's listening to my voice loathe Pence, um, and a lot of that's because of his decision to not send the electors back to the states on January sixth. Um, I understand that. By the way, I do want to say this too. People act like Trump made up that whole thing about challenging electors and the vice president would be able to send that back to Washington, D.C. Folks, I remember talking about this stuff. In fact, I think we did a program on it prior to the 2020 election because we went through, maybe not exactly what happened, but we envisioned a scenario where it could be 269 to 269, and then, like, what does this look like? You got the House of Representatives. Uh, but I remember talking about these things in, in college or even before that, it's, it had always been a question. It had always been a question because, again, you go back, you go back to Lincoln, you go back to to how I mean his some of these elections, folks, and primaries um, for some of these folks were, I mean, it was intense throughout history. There was been there's been some very tense times. We had duels for some, some of these founders. You know, were in in duels. Um. So it, there's been intense periods throughout our history. Of course, we had the Civil War. We had the North and the South go to you know, to physical war. So there has been, obviously, tense times um, throughout history. And so I know everybody wants to do the healing part, and I, I do too. That's why I'm conservative, not bitter. I want to I wanna talk to those liberals and, and Democrats who have more, they have more in common with me than they have with their radical leftists running their party. I just wish they would be open to hearing that and having that discussion because there's a huge chunk of things that conservatives and 
definitely blue dog Democrats, moderate Democrats, maybe even some things with liberals that there's agreement that would move this country in a better direction instead of to this woke ultra leftist socialist utopia. And so I I think it's important that we that we go through these things. But before we before we can talk about actually healing, we have to win. We have to win the ideological the worldview debate. And so that to me is the most important thing. And again, I'm going to have to take a break here, but I want to talk about the Pence wing of the Republican Party. And I want to talk about just my concerns, things I, you know, again, there's things that um, I certainly respect. I think he's a, a very good man. I know people that know him incredibly well, and they all have wonderful things to say about him. Um, but the question is, if, to me, if we are dealing with a situation, and I think we are, I, actually I know we are, that what the, the most important quality that we have to have in our next president is, is not, ju- I'm not saying to cause political World War III, but we have to, we have to clean up the mess. We have to say secure the border. We have to institute policies that are that is going to bring inflation in check. We are going to have to eradicate the massive bureaucratic state. Cut that back. Not just slow its growth. Not just try to understand people across the aisle. We're going to have to physically pass legislation and budgets and things that are going to actually shrink it. Not just... Not just say, let's start the healing process before we've won and made the necessary steps to stop stop the damage being done to this country. And that's why I think I think the amount of fight that's required for that, because we're talking about entrenched professionals whose livelihoods are at stake, who hate, who hate conservative principles and values. In fact, they call us domestic, what are they, DVEs? What is that? Domestic violent extremists, I think. They, they, they think conservatives who f- have a flag in their front yard, who listen to talk radio, who talk about the dangers of growing government are the biggest threat domestically from a terrorist perspective. This is what they're out there peddling. This is what they're out there saying. Because they don't they they hate the worldview and the ideology so much. I, I think outside of the beltway, I think it's naive. I think folks there's a tendency to be naive of just how thick and deep swamp is a wonderful term for it. This is again is their retirement, this is their career path, this is their path to power, this is all that stuff rolled up into one. And there's a lot of money and a lot of futures at stake, but my friends, it is ballooned into something that is absolutely reprehensible and dangerous, and it has to be, we're not talking about fine-tuning, just like trimming around the edges. We're talking grabbing the metaphorical machete. We're talking about grabbing the axe and cutting branches off, metaphorically, metaphorically, and actually getting to work, not just trimming the bonsai tree with a pair of scissors. We're not to that point. Timeout's in order. Sit tight. Back in 
just a minute. Welcome back. So let me connect the dots here and, and just ask the question that if my assessment is right, and I'm, I mean, it's rare that I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm kidding, but I, I do think that it's a, it's the right assessment. The question is, can someone like Pence do the necessary, the necessary work, have the necessary fight, engage in the necessary battles? There's certainly a lot of people, maybe a lot of you, who have a lot of respect for Mike Pence. Some of you may be very upset at him about January 6th. I personally, I do think he should have sent the electors back. I, I think a strong case to be made could be made that he sent the electors back simply by saying, look, there's a lot of stuff that we just want the legislature to confirm this and whatever comes back, comes back. I can understand that and be sympathetic to it. I also can understand the position that says it's, strictly ceremonial and it was there's not much he could do i i res, i don't i don't hold that again i don't um but to me the real question is 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 there enough fight there because it's not just i know there's a lot of principled conservatives that yeah conservative christians and principled conservatives that that like pence and i again i, I don't want to be misunderstood i i'm not against i'm just saying there has to be there has to be fight. fighting, and I don't mean necessarily ugly fighting or anything. I just mean we have to realize what we're up against. We have to realize what we're up against, and day one, get to work. That's what I think the left may actually come to regret the day, regret the day that Trump lost in 2020 if, he's gonna, if, if he runs and wins in 24 because he's had four extra years. He's like had a halftime, an intermission to where he could get things together. But you look at the DeSantis and Trump approach and others that are ready to have the fight, and the question to me becomes, does that wing, does the Pence wing have that in it? Um, I leave that for you to to decide. But I can see I can see the camps forming, and of course Trump's is still the biggest. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying that this is shaping up um, as we move into the... Uh, well, we're not too far away from the 2024 election. I mean, we, we are, of course, but it's not that far away. We're not too far away from at least names being mentioned and people starting campaigning and so forth. So timeouts in order, my friends. Sit tight. Back in just a minute. I want to be clear, too. I want to be clear, and I know this is still early, but I think that this is Trump's nomination to lose if he puts his name in the hat. I think it's his to lose. I think in second place, I think it's if Trump doesn't win, I think that DeSantis has a great chance should he throw his name in the hat. Who knows what's going to happen and how this is going to shake out. I will say, um, you know, I I think, I think, I, I don't want, I hope Team Pence really thinks this through. Short of, short of, a calling from God that this is what he should do. I think he should be very careful here um, to enter into this this fray with Trump in a primary. Um, again, short of God calling him to do so, I just uh, have a feeling that's that's not going to be pretty for the political futures of of Pence. And I don't. Again, 
I hope that that's not... Uh, I just hope that they think that through. So, anyway... All the time that we have today, folks. There's the music telling me it's time to wrap up. Thank you so much for listening. SDG. See you tomorrow. Take care.